0: And now I don't know if um, you're one of these people who just aced school. Um, I did not ace school. Um, and then I came to uni and did a software engineering degree. and managed to get 17% my first exam. But I completed it. I did get through it. Um, but really, I should have done geography. And my dad always said, uh, sorry if you did geography, guys. But my dad said to me, yeah, but James, what are you going to do afterwards if you did geography? And I'll never know. I'll never know but I still find it fascinating. I think for me, I particularly found uh, kind of the physical geography interesting, kind of uh, the rivers and the glaciers, because the textbooks always had like, nice colored pictures in. And I don't know why, but I, just, I was thinking about rivers in the last few weeks. And um, a river begins up at source, um, and up at the top it moves quickly. Um, it's just kind of been gathered off the mountains and the rivers have a lot of, lot of energy and small pebbles and minerals are dissolved in, into the river and, they're, and, and, as, and it can actually carry a huge amount of material when a river has a huge amount of energy and as the river matures, as it gets lower down it opens up and it widens and it gathers and it loses some of that energy and what happens is it starts depositing the things it was carrying. So that by the end, I don't know if you've seen uh, kind of aerial photos of river deltas, but they're just beautiful fractal shapes where the silt has been deposited. And I think I started thinking, it, started, it got me reflecting a little bit about my own life. You know, quite honestly, The last kind of 20 years, I'm 36, 5, 35, but the last 20 years since I graduated, that's kind of been how I've been feeling spiritually, if I'm honest. What used to be so new and exciting, you know, when I grasped that first time that God's grace for me was unconditional, that God loved me no matter what, no strings attached, when my my head and my heart first got that, you know, when I grasped the idea that God had a plan for my life, you know, those verses, you know, he has plans for you to prosper, not to harm you, you know, give you hope in a future. And, you know, as a, as a, as a kind of a 19-year-old, it was like wonderful to hear that stuff and you grasp it and you delight in it and it's new and you just want to, you get excited about a spiritual journey of life with Jesus. But I don't know about you, but over time, you know, things become more familiar. The pace kind of seems to slow a little bit, you know, and I don't know about you, then disappointment subtly kicks in when things haven't quite figured out or worked out as you kind of expected them to. Or at least they're not going to work out the way we anticipated. And subtly we can end up feeling a little bit let down. You know, and what do we do with God's promises then? In those moments when you know, we kind of start into that season of waiting and we thought it was going to be different. And actually if you ask us ten years from now where we are going to be, we look back and we're like, well, we've not really gone very far. And persevering is hard in those moments. I've got a lot of peers who actually are dealing with quite fundamental spiritual disappointments. And actually the attrition rate of guys in their 30s is, it is tragic. And it is something that I'm certainly grieving just amongst my peer group. The other thing we can do, you know, we could give in to a bit of disappointment, but the other thing I see a lot of is I see a lot of boredom, a lot of spiritual boredom. You know, you don't quite know what to do with it. I don't know about you, but like, life does seem to have this gravity, like the river. It just kind of starts to run out of energy and drop and deposit what it was carrying. Now, I always get the grumpy gigs when it comes to preaching. I don't know, I think people are like, well, Jimmy's quite miserable. <laughs> it's fair enough, I'll own it. But, um, so today, Nemi's fault, but um, so this evening where I was given perseverance. Which I thought, well, that's jolly, isn't it? So, um, But no. Anyway, I've met also. I've met a lot of graduates. I was a graduate. And there is still a grieving process. Are you graduates grieving? You won't if you are. If you're finishing this year, you will next year. Um, but it is hard. The tra- change is hard. But you see, as things change, and this is quite important for us, unless we're wise to how our hearts deal with change, we're very likely to cope badly. And in the Bible, because we've got to go into the Bible, um, we meet a group of people um, who also struggled with things not, going, not turning out the way they'd anticipated. And uh, we're talking about the Israelites, the kind of, these are the Prince of Egypt, Moses people, probably all very familiar with it. And they were slaves in Egypt, and God had promised them to free them from slavery, and he was going to give them a land of their own. He was going to give them the promised land. And it's a famous story and with the plagues of Egypt and then the Red Sea part and they march straight through. And just when they were about to think, okay, yep, over the sea, into the promised land, they hit the desert. And they kind of just, the progress and all this blazing evidence of God's miracles and his, the, the, the kind of the a blazing cloud and the fire at night everything that was leading them all their progress suddenly stalled you know but God what, 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 I thought you promised you, you promised us a land of our own you promised us freedom and now we're in a desert and we've been here 40 years and, but, but you promised you said uh, a freedom and the, and the words we're going to look at Tonight, I just... Moses is writing these right at the end of these 40 years. He's writing these words with the the benefit of hindsight. And it really holds wisdom for us too. And uh, I'm just going to make two observations, but let's read them. It's um, Deuteronomy 8, uh, starting verse 2. And it says this. And you shall remember... Um, the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make, make you know that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, the Israelites newfound freedom had led them into the desert you know it's not exactly the promotion they were expecting or hoping for and verse 2 is striking because it says he led them he led them all the way in the wilderness now that doesn't sound very chirpy in fact that does sound almost mean that he would deliberately lead them into a desert and not just a kind of oh there's a desert where we're going past he put them in a desert he led them into a desert you know, surely if God's blessing us, it shouldn't be like this. You know, if God's with me, life should go well, right? That's how it goes. You know, I come to Jesus; He makes my life great. That's why we come to church, right? That's not, by the way, but it's tempting to think that that is functionally what we almost can pseudo believe, and it's almost as if. I don't quite mean this, so I'm not trying to be heretical, but um, God's not very efficient. Do you know what I mean? Like, he decided to meander them around in circles for 40 years. He just took them on a right little jolly. And it's almost like he did it on purpose. And actually, we, look at, you know, we think about right throughout, throughout our Bibles, throughout the whole narrative. Almost like God stacked the odds against himself, against his own promises. You know, he gave Abraham a promise and said, your descendants will number the stars in the sky. And then ironically, the next three matriarchs are all barren. I mean, I think he's just having a laugh. Or we think about Joseph. He had to do the prison time for something he never did. Jesus himself... The anointing of his ministry was into the desert. And think about birthing the church. Jesus comes on, he, he wanders around. I'm not trying to be uh, anyway. Jesus wanders around the earth, and um, he kind of tells some kind of vague stories. He's only really explicit with a few close friends about what what's actually going on. And then he leaves the whole building the church to the world thing in the hands of some uneducated fishermen. I mean, that's not very smart, in my opinion. I mean, it always worked, obviously worked out okay, but like, you know, God's, he's not, he's not the most efficient. By human standards, he put odds against himself. And yet, when we've seen God, like, kind of God act that way throughout history, we're then a bit surprised when we get it different. You know, when somehow... We expect for God to make things clear and straight and straightforward and simple. And yet throughout history he's made it meandering and complicated and surprising and kept everyone on their toes for all of humanity history. And yet we think it's going to be somehow different for us. Proverbs 25.2 says this, it says, the glory, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. And to search out a matter is the glory of kings. And what he's saying is that there is glory in what we don't know. There is deep glory in what we don't understand. There's wisdom and there's mercy in it. Now you control freaks, I mean planners out there, need to chill sometimes. That's really convenient for me because I'm not a planner. But um, some of us fear when we don't know everything. We don't know how exactly something's going to turn out. and instead we kind of ditch waiting for God I and mean, actually we'd rather push our own agenda and you know, God wants so much more for us than that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and that's infuriating because we all want to know and yet there's a glory in not and we can almost be like God's saying yes it's okay I've, it's uncomfortable I've brought you here For a reason, I'll never leave you. And yes, there's going to be unknowns when we follow Jesus. That's kind of what we signed up to. But what we read in these verses, they're good for us. The writer Errol Ozan put it. He said, some beautiful paths can't be discovered without getting lost. Some beautiful paths can't get discovered without getting lost. And that's been my experience. Certainly in the circumstances... Certainty is more often the enemy of spirituality than not knowing for me. When I know exactly what's going to happen, I don't need Jesus particularly, if I'm honest. It's only when I know that I'm out of my depth that he actually has a true value in my heart. And quite honestly, it's it's not just that God allows it. Like we said, it's that he leads intentionally, all the way. You see, he never left them in the desert. He didn't abandon them. But it must have looked awfully like it at times. And yet, as Moses is writing, what really happened to I led you all the way those 40 years. The next thing we see is we see a God who lets us hunger. Verse 3 says, he caused you to hunger and then fed you to teach that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now this is uncomfortable. He, what God wants you to feel vulnerable. And I hate feeling vulnerable. But that's what he's saying. He wants them to be needy. And that's really uncomfortable for us. It says he actually caused their dissatisfaction. He exposed their need to break their independence. And if it was that, if, it was, if, if, if that was kind of, it was that for them, then it's that for us. God wants us needy. The prerequisite for being a disciple of Jesus is to be awkwardly needy. I think that's the best I can come to for myself. Awkwardly needy. And often, certainly in our culture, it's apathy that kicks in. It's a lack of hunger. Because actually, if we're honest, we don't need God. We can actually do this whole thing. We can even do worship without God. We're actually very competent. The musicians are fantastic. We can, we can do the whole thing without God if we want to. And for me, apathy is far more dangerous for my heart than a difficult season and I've definitely witnessed that our successes and our competences which we've got a room full of people who are all those things are the biggest hindrance to spiritual growth because we can actually do it ourselves far too well now we look at neediness and we see it as weakness everyone's probably got a needy friend and we judge them and yet, ironically the bible would say they're blessed now I have a few friends who refuse to they won't admit this but they refuse to do anything they're not good at have you got friends like that and uh, I've always made it a habit when I can to do things I'm not good at and be seen to be bad at them Does that make sense because I know it's good for my proud heart to be seen to be bad at things I was skiing a few weeks ago, well months ago and uh, I was the worst. I'm actually quite a good skier, but I was the worst of the group, if that makes sense. And uh, on piste, Zoom, lap it up, all good. But these guys were really good, and they go off piste a lot. And it was either me going my own, or go, okay, fine. And I just ate it. And when you eat it in, like, five-foot powder, you don't get up very quickly, got to find your skis and by the end of it you're just a sweaty mess and um, and then they're like ready ready for the next one i'm like oh my gosh seriously i'll meet you down here but i don't know what hungers you're experiencing probably everyone had the tea so it's not physical but and literal but what are those disappointments those struggles those fears those things that actually those you know those nagging pangs of inadequacy which plague us all quite silently. The reality is, these things, these hungers, these dissatisfactions, according to these verses, are actually God trying to get your attention. They're actually an opportunity to know him better. And yet, isn't it funny? The amount of attention and energy we spend avoiding dealing with those things. We distract ourselves senseless by binging on Netflix, Or filling our dives with people so we never actually have to face up to being on our own. Or, you know, we pretend we're smarter than we are, or exaggerate our job titles. You know, like anything that we can do to kind of prove to ourselves that we're not a failure, which would be an utter tragedy to admit to our stubborn hearts. You know, but verse two says he's wanting to teach us, and that's it's him that we need, and when we're hungry, that he alone can provide. And when it says he feeds us, he's wanting us to know him, himself, his presence, his voice, his reassurance, not the praise of somebody else. He wants us to know by the Holy Spirit, my son, my daughter, you're enough. You're perfect. I made you without mistake. You know, that's real food. That is feeding the way that these verses mean. Now I'm guessing most of us are cool with the idea of God giving us what we need. I don't think there'd be anybody who doesn't want God to give them what they need. The issue is we don't... What we, what we think we need isn't what God actually knows we need. And then we have this discrepancy of what we think we need versus what God really knows we need and we just aren't accepting it very well. You see, we see difficulty and suffering to so escape from at all costs. And yet God sees wonderful opportunity instead. You see, the Israelites had signed up to Freedom the promised land, fertile green place where they could prosper, you know. and instead God had led them on a hungry 40-year detour in the desert. You see, cruel and harsh as this sounds, God's priority for you and your life is not your comfort. And that's brutal, but it's the most loving thing he could do because that doesn't mean we, he doesn't want us to enjoy life. Of course he wants to enjoy life, enjoy it along the way, those wonderful moments to, to share with each other and to steward and enjoy and like just wear massive smiles on our faces. He's a good God, he loves us, he loves us enjoying these things. But his much bigger overarching purpose for each of us is to prepare our hearts for eternity. And so everything he does is orientated towards that much bigger An ultimate goal. Everything Jesus accomplished for us on the cross was that so we could be with Him forever. And He uses our lives and our circumstances, the challenging things right now, to draw us towards Himself. So actually, these things are His greater grace, if we choose to see them that way. And a few months ago, I was had one of these moments where I was just feeling a bit overwhelmed by. Well, I was praying. I was praying for us as a church. And, you know, I want to see us blessing Edinburgh. I want to see us calling the Holy Spirit to fill this city. I want to see us as a church taking courageous steps to get out there, even if it crashes and burns. I want to see courage. And yet there was so much, it just seemed so futile. It seemed so hopeless. And I just thought, what's the point? You know, what's the... You know, I'll probably probably shouldn't preach this, but you know, what what is the point of all we're doing? It just seems hopeless. And uh, I was kind of writing a few thoughts down, and I was I was praying, and I almost had this picture of well, I did have a picture picture of I was on this beach, and I had a bucket and a spade, and I was making a sandcastle. You know, filled my bucket, it over, tapped it down. You know, and this little castle emerged, and then this huge. Tide came and knocked my sandcastle down. I was like, "God, well, that's how it feels. We're building little sandcastles against the sea. And I felt God say, yeah, 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 but the sandcastle you're building, they go on to eternity. You see them disappear. You see them, up. actually, the essence of them, the essence of the glory that you're building goes off into eternity. And as I looked to my left and right, I saw more of us building these little sandcastles Futile sandcastles of ugly glory if that makes sense and actually because there was, they captured an eternal essence of something greater that was all the courage I needed to keep going because it makes something significant even if we can't see it now and as we finish it's something that Moses knew too You see, when Moses wrote these words, he was on the edge of the promised land. That was the closest he ever got. He'd spent his first 40 years running away from Pharaoh. Similarly, in a desert, ironically. He spent the next 40 years running around a desert with a grumpy lot of people. And then he died on a mountain overlooking the promised land he had spent 80 years waiting for. Now, if that was a film, that would be a tragedy. That really would be a tragedy. But It would probably, probably get me crying over that one. Oh, he didn't make it. <laughs> to fall at the final hurdle after all that time and all that seeming misery only to have it slip through his fingers at the last minute. But the big thing here is Moses saw beyond the promised land. That promise he'd held on to his whole life that he'd gone through all that grief for to get that group of people to that place. He knew that that wasn't his ultimate home. He knew he may have stayed there for a while but he knew that wasn't really the place his heart dreamt of. That wasn't where his heart was home. Now culture, our culture references the promised land as this mythical utopia you know, where everything's going to be perfect. Everything fits neatly into place. That world where Newcastle finish in the top four next season. If it happens, you heard it here first. But... but honestly, similarly, it's not any different for us. The promised land is a symbol of what's to come. We're not home yet. It doesn't mean, again, we don't enjoy these moments along the way, and God delights us in enjoying them, but... To persevere and to live with perseverance is to live with a perspective that ultimately none of this around here will last. One of the most crazy things is to think in 100 years there'll be 300 different people here. Unless unless we do some serious kind of geekery on bio-robotic stuff. And yet, how much of our energy do we focus around building the promised land for ourselves now? How much of the promised land do we actually try and construct around our lives as if this is the end? As if this life is all that we are hoping for. And this is, we're trying to create for ourselves everything that we're dreaming of. You know, that, the perfect life, the job, um, accumulate the wealth, the happy relationship, the car, the kids... the definition of a pilgrim is a person travelling is a person journeying to a sacred place Moses was a pilgrim and he died a pilgrim of everybody in the story he got the shortest straw he had the right to feel a bit gypped if i honest it did look a bit harsh but the reality is we're called to a pilgrimage too in fact, I think that's probably one of the best words to sum up what the Christian life should look like. Our lives should look like a pilgrimage. We hold things lightly. We travel. we are used to change. And we see everything through that lens of what is home and what is not. What will last and what won't last. You see, Moses wasn't bitter somehow. Moses did persevere. He had known God, and for him, knowing God was his inheritance. When Jesus, in the Bible, it says of Jesus that he, in, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That wasn't that he looked forward to it. We know he, he was terrified of it. But for the joy beyond the cross, he did it. It was a necessary step to what came afterwards. And see, this is the thing with perseverance. Our our ability to persevere is not determined by our effort in the present. But rather the perception of the future. It's not about our strength. It's not about how much we try. But rather how far we see. Engaging with God well when it's uncomfortable. Learning to struggle well. Having the courage to wait. Leaving space for alternative perspectives to the thing we immediately feel. I just want to finish with a quote from one of my favourite books. He writes this. He says, God has already written the end of your story. By grace it ends wonderfully. There isn't anything you can choose to do that will make it end better. And if you know that that story ends well, then the only choice that is really left is to enjoy the mystery as it slowly unfolds. And that is the path called faith. And it's also the path of perseverance by which we have a perspective to keep going. So whether it's a slog because you're disappointed and you've become disillusioned, whether it's a slog because actually a part of you is bored. I know that God wants more for us than either of those scenarios. And we live in seasons. I've gone through seasons of real disappointment and strife. I've gone through boredom periods. And I know that God is calling me to more life than that. So I'm just going to pray for us. And we'll just see what God wants to say so. And will come up and heavenly father we want to thank you for your wisdom we want to thank you for your perspective lord we want to thank you for your presence with us continually and father we want to be a people who cope well with the curveballs balls that life throws at us lord we want to deal with challenge well But God, above these things, we want to say we want to trust you better. Lord, you know our hearts are stubborn. Lord, you know we forget so quickly and easily. And God, we are asking for more revelation to see that bit further. And so, Father, where we are bored and we feel like we're just going through the motions, God, we ask your Holy Spirit to kind of bring your reawakening. Jesus, and God, where we are disappointed, where we haven't the courage to engage with you anymore, Lord, where we've got our fingers in our ears and we just don't want to hear it, we haven't got any more courage to believe you to be faithful and able to intervene. Lord, we just pray that you would soften our hearts. Lord, give us all a greater measure of faith. Let us know the affection you have for us beyond that which we could ever comprehend. Jesus, we just really love you and we're sorry that we forget. And Father, as we worship, Lord, we want to believe that you're a God who speaks. A God who has knowledge of us, a God who has insight into us, a God who can communicate to us Say, so Father, make us receivers. Make, make us needy, open receivers, God.